Welcome to the Score Podcast. It wasn't more than 10 days ago that you could ask 100 people if they've ever heard of Silicon Valley Bank, and they'd probably say no. That's certainly not true today. I'm Jeff Richardson, host of The Score Podcast. Federal bank regulators are in crisis mode, trying to stem the contagion from a number of bank collapses, including Silicon Valley, that have occurred in the past few days. I plan to speak to our guest today about digital commerce trends, and we will. But let's not ignore the elephant in the room. My guest today is Dan Curell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, which is the premier multi-industry trade association advancing the future of commerce through collaboration, education, and standards in card-linking mobile wallets and financial data. Perfect for the SCORE podcast. Its members include a who's who of major fintech and merchant players, and they range from Bank of America and MasterCard to TransUnion and Sam's Club, and yes, even Vantage Score. Dan is also host of the Commerce Code podcast, available at DCA's website. Before taking the helm at DCA, Dan served as an executive at Advanced Law, where he was managing director, and previously he was deputy undersecretary and senior advisor in the U.S. Department of Education where he worked on issues involving higher education and national security. He is currently a fellow at the National Security Institute and has served as a policy fellow in the U.S. Senate. And I would be remiss not to mention that Dan took over the role as DCA's CEO after Silvio Tavares joined Vantage Corps as our president's CEO. So we've all become terrific partners and fast friends. Dan, welcome to the SCORE podcast. Jeff, thank you so much for having me. You know, you read that bio and I, I guess all those things are true. I think my my children would absolutely roll their eyes if they heard a description of me that sounded quite as accomplished or august as that, but I, I guess I'll take it. Well, you have an amazing background and have been in your role for quite a few months now, so it's great to see DCA grow and really have the influence. So we're obviously all refreshing our news feeds right now throughout the day to see if there are any new banks at risk or regulatory activity is, is happening at a furious pace So your members are focused on fintech and delivering services digitally. What are the key areas of interest for them as we continue through this volatility? And why is that? We have lived in interesting times. I think the times have been a little too interesting for us for decades Um, at this point. You know, it's it's not going to slow down, I guess. We just need to accept. And so when we think about the intersection of just the real diversity of companies that we engage with at, at DCA, and then things like the Silicon Valley Bank news and and what's going on, First Republic and, and whatever else may follow. There's obviously the immediate mechanical aspect of, hey, where's our money? And everybody's grabbing their wallet, so to speak. You know, I haven't I haven't really chatted with companies that have had existential crises as a result of that piece. I think the bigger piece, obviously, is where does the industry go from here? And, and to me, I, this connects to some conversations I've had lately with member companies that really, you know, preceding the Silicon Valley Bank news. And so therefore, were, I think, important questions, but have now become both important and kind of urgent questions, which is you've got banks and what role are they going to play in terms of innovation and directly touching the customer? How much do they work through intermediaries, the neo banks and challenger banks, et cetera, what the names that we want to call these things? A couple of snippets of, of conversations we've been having, and I was just having this conversation in London last week with a, a roundtable of member companies. The world goes through cycles of how regulated, or at least culturally and from a legal standpoint, like how, how much do we think of banks as just these sort of necessarily boring regulated institutions 
versus how innovative, how agile, how fast moving could they be, should they be. And it has something, a lot to do with the current structure of the, if you will, the ecosystem, you know, neobanks that kind of are, are doing their innovative thing while I think trying strategically to avoid becoming kind of regulated in the same way. And then you've got the banks that are saying, hey, how much you know, direct innovation do we want to do in outreach to customers? To me, I think there's going to be, a, a, I think, a retrenchment culturally and legally towards banks having that sort of prudential role and that, you know, we are solid role in the, the ecosystem. And, you know, already neobanks, I think, saying, hey, <laughs> after they figured out where all their deposits are and all that stuff, they're saying, hey, we, we have an opportunity here. That may not last forever. I'm not saying that's how the world's going to be forever, but we're going to go through a moment like that. And, it, and it's consequential time for that moment to take place because I think it's, it's a moment when you see these innovators really gaining steam. Shifting gears a little bit, let's talk about open banking, which is a topic the SCORE podcast covers quite a bit. I want to hear your take on it. So how will financial services market participants shift their strategies as this data becomes more accessible? I think the most important factor right now, you know, you've got activity going on again. Like, I don't know if in the introduction, if, if it was necessarily clear that I'm guilty of being a lawyer, but it's true. But I, there's a saying in D.C. that law is downstream of culture. And what we mean by that is like you can pass whatever law you want. If people aren't into it, you know, if you don't have sort of popular support for it, it just it doesn't really exist. And so on the open banking thing, you know, you've got stuff going on on the regulatory side. What I think matters really is what do all the players in the system and I think foremost, just the average consumer actually want. People talk about ownership of their information or privacy, those things, but will they act on it? And so I think that's that's a question that will get worked out over the coming years and, and decades. I think the opportunity is for innovators to show people cool value that they can get and cool stuff that they can do as a result of asserting ownership over their information. There's a lot of conversation right now about alternate ways that companies can do an even better job of understanding their customer, understanding the consumer by looking at a, a more rich sort of set of data. And so that's an interesting conversation, but it will, it will depend a bit on what the CFPB does and what other regulators around the world do. Canada's in the action right now, and I think they've got a timeline to get something going on the open banking front in earnest in the coming year. Uh, CFPB is going to have to land their plane before basically the election cycle starts next year. That's just the cadence of American politics. And then, you know, was obviously meeting with some folks over in the UK and everything last week. And so, you know, they've, they've maybe made more progress on open banking in a way. But we're going to work it all out together. I think it's an interesting combination of that sort of, I'd say, slower moving tectonic shift and then the earthquake that's, that's just happened with Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, that, that's an interesting juxtaposition for sure. This next question, I think, relates somewhat to the open banking question, perhaps stating the obvious, younger generations access services and financial services and information differently than, than older consumers. So what exciting developments are you seeing amongst the DCA members to lean into some of these trends? I said before, you know, open banking is really going to depend on what do people want to do, right? And I think, Jeff, you and I are just old enough to probably not be those people, at least on average, right, in terms of who's going to be the mover, or who's going to be the lead steer on this stuff. It is, as is often true of technology and innovation, probably going to be Gen Z, right? And, and that's in broad strokes. And, and maybe I'm even wrong, but I think it's, it's likely going to be Gen Z that's a first mover on this stuff. What do you see going on? Well, one of the things that's really interesting to me, full engagement with social media, particularly video formats, the dominance of TikTok right now, you know, that's not an abstract thing. That's that's like every person in the world, as far as I can tell, under the age of, I don't know what, 20-something, 
being on it a lot. And then the whole business models just being built in connection with TikTok. We've got some small innovative companies that are really focused on how do you engage that consumer segment through so that kind of social media. We've got some incumbent companies, some bigger ones. And back to the Neobank, Challenger Bank thing, absolutely. This generation is the first clean opportunity to engage people in a way where they may never open the conventional bank account. They might just go without it. And I think that fundamentally changes the, the strategy and tactics for your incumbent banks. Yeah, it makes you wonder how long we'll be continuing to get those mailers from, from credit card issuers. Yeah. What is the saying? You know, in the future is already here. It just it presents unevenly. Our son is a freshman in college. You know, he said, hey, dad, I mean, he, to his credit, takes the initiative and says, like, I should get like my own credit card to which, you know, hallelujahs were, were sung. And we said, sure, yeah, you should do that. That's a responsible thing to do. Boy, the process he went through to get that thing in place was probably no better, if not maybe worse than what I would have gone through 30 years ago in his same same shoes, you know, just like mechanically. And I'm sure there's probably a smoother way to do it. But we just we let him, you know, just figure it out. I think he thought he was engaging with a, a essentially medieval system. There, there probably was a way for him to do it on an app that was like, you know, maybe seamless. But the point is, you have this weird interaction between the foundational kind of banking and traditional system. And then these things that are happening so quickly in the innovation space, it's just going to be taking some grinding of the gears to work that all out. That's an interesting anecdote. So going back to your comment on, on neobanks, so I think it was on a point that DCA actually made that neobank innovations can either enhance or disrupt the traditional banking business model. So if you're talking to a traditional bank, what advice do you have to help them make sure they're on the right side of that equation? Yeah, I guess I have two thoughts. One thing is, you know, you want to get as close to the innovation as you can without crossing your regulator. So now you're sitting in the in the shoes of you are a regulated entity. And I think there's plenty of banks that have figured out how to do that in different ways. You know, with, maybe they've got incubators that they sponsor. Maybe they've got close collaborations. Maybe you've got, you know, essentially app-like, you know, kind of driven fintechs that are air-gapped to the bank. We know some of those that are members and they're, they're basically in the same building, but they sort of don't have access to all the bank's information, that sort of thing. So I think you want to run those plays and get close to the innovation. So there's thought one. You know, thought two is really interesting. And this is just, as you look at the mechanics of what's happening right now, as in like right now, with people shifting their money around and all that, and as I've imagined or anticipated banks being expected at some level to retrench a little bit into that traditional role, these neobanks and other fintechs are figuring out, you know, how to for example, you know, shift money quickly around between different traditional banks to optimize or maximize FDIC, deposit insurance, all this kind of stuff. And I, you just wonder if your traditional banks get pushed back into a more commodity position in the market as a result of that, and, and maybe without a whole lot of choice in, in the matter. I can't imagine this would happen quickly, but are we going to flip in the medium run to where the real money is in, in the innovators and it's not necessarily that attractive to be in the traditional banking business. So those are words that I say out of my mouth at, while we all know that financial services is fundamentally in the long sweep of human history, kind of the most consistently profitable sector in the last, I don't know, seven centuries, something like that. And so it might seem quite unlikely, but at least it's something to look out for, which is at least at, at the level of an individual bank, are we getting too commodified and how do we manage the risk? of some innovator taking away all of our really attractive lines of business while we continue to just do business and basically serve them piped water, if you will, as a utility. And then they basically, they stick it in the Dasani bottle and sell it for $2 to the consumer. Nobody wants to be in that position. It's an interesting question and no doubt probably a topic of discussion for DCA's upcoming conference. 
So I want to end it with that. What can we look for at the DCA Summit later this year? When is it? And kind of broadly, what are DCA's 2023 priorities? So I'll start with the summit. April 11th, uh, San Francisco, as I said to the staff the other day, it's, it's going to be lit. I, and then I said, okay, you don't, you don't have to put that in the outbound email. But I just said it on a podcast, and so I, at least I got it out there. A few things to look forward to, and there's going to be you know, more than this, but a couple snippets. Absolutely a social media thing, both social media engagement and activation and what's going on there, like kind of from a how do you administer and how do you run it perspective. So for, for institutions like that. Also, you know, just a, a rich, I think, conversation about Gen Z, Gen Z engagement, what's going on with social media there. Some really interesting organizations can talk about that. We're going to talk about friction. And so, you know, I just gave you the sexy, interesting stuff. And so I'll flip over to the, look, we're still in industry. It's kind of like I said about my son trying to get a credit card. Uh, he did succeed, I think, ultimately. But there's just a lot of friction. I mean, you know, just in a ton of different ways and talking about how do we as an ecosystem try and limit that friction. I've had a maxim for a long time that people talk about what's important, but they do what's easy. And I think as a sector, it's really important for uh, digital commerce, you know, ranging from banks to retail to everybody else, the innovators, et cetera, to figure out how to minimize friction by improving their collaboration, right? So that when consumers come to interact with us, the wires and stuff aren't all hanging out from our processes that they have to look at and they got to navigate and figure out what to plug into what. So we'll be talking friction. And then uh, other thing I'll mention, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence, uh, large language models, chat GPT. And we're not just going to talk about it. The plan is to play with it, invite our future masters into the room virtually and to spend some time with them so that we can get to know them before we become their vassals. That sounds awesome. We'll certainly be there and look forward to participating. So let's end it there, Dan. Really thank you for joining us and and providing all these excellent insights. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be with you. So to learn more about the DCA Summit, which is where all these topics will be discussed in much greater detail by many of the key industry leaders, go to Digital Commerce Alliance's website. It's digcomall.org or just Google Digital Commerce Alliance. And we'll look forward to seeing everybody out there in April. Well, to recap, the moment we find ourselves in today feels like one of those, where were you win times? Regulators are clearly concerned with the contagion effect, and we're all factoring in how our businesses will be impacted by the banking environment. Having the right data and information is critical, whether you're in analytics, you're a regulator, or in risk management. At Advantage Gord, undoubtedly at DCA, we're monitoring the market closely and sharing our data. So be sure to check out our tools like Credit Gauge and Risk Ratio to see how consumer credit health is being impacted by this volatility. I'm Jeff Richardson, and I look forward to our next discussion. The views and opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of VantageScore Solutions. Visit VantageScore.com to learn more.